41, and Genesis 41, uh, 41 is where we'll start. And I'll, I'll look at the book here on page 21. Joseph is no longer a teenage boy when we come to Genesis chapter 41. Pharaoh recognized him as a man who knew God. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream and was ex exalted to a position next to Pharaoh in Egypt. And we read this account starting in chapter 41. And we'll just finish the last part of the chapter, verse 41, and following. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed himself in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his head or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaph, Zaph yeah, that name. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And by the way, I'm just glad his name is Joseph and not that other name. Uh, and the Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities and the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for the Lord hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Manasseh means forget, Ephraim means fruitful. Verse 53, And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was all in all the lands. But in the, all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph. What he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouse and stole unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. And so we see here the whole world turning to Egypt because of God using Joseph to preserve not only the Egyptians, but the, the world as we know it uh, from starvation. And so when we pick up with this story at this time, Joseph, as we read already, the first paragraph, Joseph is no longer a teenage boy. When we first read about Joseph, he's 17 years old. Now, according to the Bible, according to this chapter, he's 30 years old. He's 30. And so he spent the last 13 years of his life as a slave, as a prisoner in Egypt, foreigner. But now God's exalted him and allowed him to be over all the land of Egypt next to Pharaoh. And so this is quite a quite an amazing uh, contrast and a turnaround. God revealed to Joseph that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. It's interesting that in Joseph's personal life, it was the other way around. The famine came first and then the plenty. He called his firstborn son Manasseh, forget. I want to forget that stuff. 
But the second one he called fruitful because that was the blessing. And so it was opposite for Joseph personally. He went through his famine first, and then he enjoyed the plenty afterwards. But here we see in Egypt there were seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. And Joseph stored up during the years of plenty. And when the famine came, Egypt became a breadbasket for the world. In verses 50 through 52, we see this about the sons and the wife. It's not his fault that he married an Egyptian woman. That's that's where he was. And they gave him a, a woman to marry, a daughter of one of the priests of On. And Joseph bare two sons, verse 50, before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Again, forgetting. For God, saith he, hath made me to forget all my toil in all my father's house. In the name of the second he called Ephraim, which is fruitful for god hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction so the names of these sons reflect reflected what had taken place in joseph's personal life he named his first son manasseh declaring that this is what i have forgotten and he named his second son ephraim saying this is what god has blessed me with fruitful and there's a lot of comparisons in the word of god in joseph's life with jesus Jesus and Joseph have, have a lot in common. Joseph was loved by his father, of course, Jesus. Rejected by his own family, of course, Jesus. Sold for silver, of course, Jesus was. And he even, you could say, received a Gentile bride. Uh, and Jesus is receiving uh, a bride throughout both Jews and Gentiles. But we see a lot of connections here. We see how that Joseph uh, was basically the giver of bread, the giver and sustainer, and, and Jesus is as well. But besides the typology here, we need to see some other things in this passage about about Joseph that can teach us some lessons. Um, the box here says, we spend much of our lives in disappointment if we only see the affliction and we fail to see the blessings of God. If we only see the, the affliction you see, the the blessing of this story is is that Joseph learned how to forget it. He learned how to forget those things which are behind. Some people just constantly dwell on the past, constantly dwell on the fact that this happened way back in their life. Something happened, some tragedy happened, some catastrophe, some awful, unfair, whatever it might be thing happened. Guess what? There's a guy in the Bible named Joseph that you need to read. And you need to understand, no matter what it is, that's not an excuse to dwell in the past and wallow in the misery in the mud. The truth is, I believe, the truth is, is that people who do that really are blaming God. You can point at somebody. You can point at an individual and say, they did me wrong. But, but the truth is, you're not allowing God to be sovereign. You're not recognizing that God is over all, and he allowed it for a reason. He allowed it. Somewhere in Joseph's life, from age 17 to age 30, he had to understand God's doing something. If you know the word of God, there are times where God has said, I need someone to tell Ahab a great big lie. And a lying spirit stood up in front of God and said, I'll go. And I'm not saying that God told that spirit to lie, but God knew that there's enough evil spirits out there that he could find a liar. And that lying spirit told Ahab and all those false prophets that he could go out and win the battle, and Ahab didn't. He, he died. And once upon a time, God needed filthy, wicked people to lie about Jesus. 
and to accuse him and then to see that he was nailed to a cross. And God allowed that. That was part of his big sovereign plan. And God uses, I'm not saying he does it, but God uses the the wickedness of man to his advantage. What Joseph's ten brothers did was terrible. They meant it for evil. But as Joseph recognized in chapter 50, but God meant it for good. And so we need to understand that a lot of times, much of our lives are, in, are we spend too much of it in disappointment because we only see the affliction. We only see the bad and we fail to see the blessings of God. And so the box says, and I, I have it highlighted, the word if, we spend much of our lives in disappointment if we only see the affliction and we fail to see the blessings of God. I probably, part of my situation is that I don't feel like I've ever really had major affliction. But at the same time, those things that have happened that didn't seem fair or didn't seem worthy of, you know, to to have happened, I didn't dwell on it and allow it to become something that controlled my thinking. Praise the Lord for that. Now, that could happen tomorrow. It could change. But the point is, is that if life hands you lemons, understand that God wants you to make lemonade with it, not wallow and sour about it. Um, Much of our time is spent dealing with our troubles instead of recognizing our blessings. Much of our time is coping. Stop coping and move forward, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, press toward the mark. Stop that. Quit, Quit being a victim and learn to be a victor, all right? And that's what Joseph was. He recognized that in all this, and I know few people that could match Joseph's story. I mean, you talk about unfair and seeming to be ungodly and unrighteous, and yet God used it and blessed him. So we need to recognize, and of course we have Jesus as our perfect example, who suffered totally unfairly and was persecuted and despised. And yet he shows us that victory is on the other side. So let's talk about forgetting, all right? Verse 51, Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Can you, can you learn to, to appreciate the experience that God put you through, that God allowed you to go through? Do you know some people, maybe even in this room, have a great advantage over the rest of us because you have gone through a horrible thing. You've had a lousy experience, but it has taught you some things that the rest of us can only read about or try to imagine. You say, I don't think that's... No, I'm serious. It, the, the Bible t- tells us that he allows us to go through tribulation so that we can in turn comfort others who are in the same tribulation and comfort them with the things that we've learned and, and understand uh, from our experience how we got over that. This is the only, I think, we talk about hope, our hope for addiction ministry on Friday nights that we have here. This is what has to happen. Some people in our church have had addictions and have been able to overcome them. You should be coming. I'm not a great example. I don't have the ability to emulate or to empathize with those people. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying I don't have. But you have the opportunity to say, look, I've learned to forget and to be fruitful. 
and that is a great opportunity for you. We have some wonderful testimonies in our own church. The problem is people are too embarrassed or too whatever to talk about them. You need to talk about them. You need to share it with others so that others, first of all, the, 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 especially the young people, but all of us would, oh, there is really nobody perfect. There, there is nobody perfect. There's nobody that has, and, and secondly, wow, the grace of God is amazing. The grace of God is awesome. And so don't shy away from what God allows you to, to go through in your past because it taught you some things. It brought you to where you are today. Humility brings grace. And so we need to be humbled, and it's a good thing, no matter how humbling it is. Um, this does not mean that Joseph forgot his father and his brothers. We see that in the rest of the story. He didn't forget. He didn't say, I'm not going to remember them anymore. That's not what he said. It's not. He, he didn't say, I'm naming him Manasseh because I don't want to remember those ten jerks. That's not what he said. He's forgetting the bad part of it, all right, the, the, the negative. It means that he was able to get over the heartache and go on living. He was able to go beyond his afflictions and live victorious. That's the key here. And the box says there's a time to stop crying and start living again. This is accomplished by God's grace. And the, the testimony, the sweet testimony that Joseph exemplifies is the grace of God is bigger than all that. I mean, I just don't know how many people have suffered quite like Joseph did in those years. Many people live in the past. They will not forgive. They are unwilling to get over what has happened to them. But the Bible says that God can give us grace to forget the things which are behind. So let's let's look at this. Philippians 3. We're going to keep our finger in Genesis 41, but let's go to Philippians 3. Joyce quoted it from memory a minute ago. Philippians. Philippians chapter number 3 and verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting, there's our key word, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Earlier in the verses, if you go up into the chapter and read like verse number uh, four, five, six. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He was a stock of Benjamin. He was a stock of Israel. He was the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin. He persecuted the church, uh, touching uh, the the righteousness which is in the law. He was blameless. He thought he was doing all the right things as a Jew. Uh, he was getting rid of these these Christian people that were uh, were lifting up this Jesus and destroying the Judaism that he had uh, sold his life to. And yet, he forgot, forgot those things which are behind. He forgot the self-righteousness. He forgot the self-good works that, that all the other Pharisees were walking around. See, it was the Pharisees that, that were the instigators for Jesus being put on the cross. I'm sure Saul was a part of that group at the time. I'm not saying I know that for sure, but he was a Pharisee alive at the time that Jesus was crucified. I know for a fact that he was standing there when Stephen got stoned to death by the Pharisees and the others. Paul had a hand in that. He held all the coats for the people who were stoning Stephen. So Paul was able to get over the past and go on with the future. He said, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark. Forgetting those. Now, 
Don't you think maybe once in a while Paul might have thought about Stephen? Forgetting the guilt. You know, I did that. I had a part in that. He said, he admits in another place in the Bible, it says that I persecuted in the Jews' religion. I did think, hailing men and women, throwing them into prison, the Bible says. Who knows what all he was guilty of. The point is, is that he had a past. The great apostle Paul, used to be Saul, had a past, but he forgot those things which are behind. We know that Joseph wasn't as perfect as Jesus. We don't know how what all sins Joseph had in his life, but certainly there were some things. I would only imagine that maybe at a time in Joseph's life, he had a dartboard with 10 pictures on it of the 10 brothers. Maybe. I would. But somewhere along the way, he threw the dartboard away. And he got over the bitterness of what those brothers did to him. I can only imagine that he had some revenge think thoughts and some bitterness towards those 10 boys. But somewhere along the way, between age 17 and age 30, he forgot that part. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about forgetting and, and recognizing that sin in my life. I, I, what they did was sin, but now I'm responding with sin and that's... and forgetting those things and letting the grace of God take over and become the victory. That's what Paul's saying. He, he was forgetting the self-righteousness. He left that behind, the Pharisee and all that stuff. But he also was forgetting the guilt that he was a part of as well and, and had in his life and recognizing that's forgiven. That's been forgiven by the grace of God. It's under the blood and it's done. See, we live in a world that is not perfect, duh, Filled with people who are not perfect. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in the midst of this, we must not fail to see the goodness of God. I love that song. And I even recorded it and sang it. I believe to see the goodness of the Lord. Wonderful, wonderful truth in the Bible is this. No matter how bad things happen or how many bad things someone does to you or me or whatever. God's still better. He's still good. And there's not one thing, you read the book of Job and read Joseph's life, there's not one thing that's ever happened bad that God, the creator of the universe, didn't go ahead and sign off on. I'm not saying he did it. I'm not saying he's responsible for the evil. That's not what I believe. But I do believe that God looks down and says, all right, I see what Satan and his minions want to do here, but I'm going to let that go just for one reason. Down the road, it's going to be a beautiful story. And it's going to turn to a wonderful thing. And God did that for Joseph. And uh, so the ideal family is, is that we are saved and we get married to a saved person and we raise our children for the Lord. And our children grow up in church and they, they just know the Bible and they, and they learn good habits and things. That's the ideal. But you know what? Not everybody has that. And there's some people sitting in here that didn't have that. But you know what? You are a blessing. Because you know how many people can relate to the ideal family? Hardly anybody. So they're like, well, I can't go to that church because you have to be ideal. So isn't it a blessing that we have a bunch of non-ideals? Because that helps everybody else to say, oh, I don't have to have the perfect background. No. God has mercy and grace. Now, we can break the cycle and start so that the future looks more ideal. But the point is, is that we're not all supposed to be the same. We're not all supposed to have the exact same background. Because what, what good is that? That doesn't teach anything. But when, when people realize 
wow, there's someone that God did something and their story is kind of similar to mine or even more heartbreaking than mine. And what a wonderful thing that God does with with these horrible events that he allows to happen in our life so that he can teach us and people around us how to forget the past and move forward. And what it does too is, is it causes the people in the world to not have any excuses. Well, if you can go through that horrible, abusive, messed up situation, then certainly God can help me. So forgetting. So understand what a beautiful thing it was when Joseph named his first son forgetting. And the first time I read it, I thought, well, you know, yeah, no, I don't blame you, Joseph. I don't want to forget. No, he didn't forget his family. He just forgot the negative part. See, the word forgetting connects to the word forgiving. And really, that's what Joseph was doing, as we talked about previously. And we'll see how he'll test his brothers. He's, he's decided he's going to forgive them. He tested them to find out if they had changed, and sure enough, they did. Their hearts were soft compared to what they were before. In the end, Judah, the one that wanted to kill him at age 17, in the end, at age 30 or 40, Judah was the one who said, take me, my, my, my father will die if I don't return with Benjamin. So leave let me just stay as a prisoner and, and take Benjamin home. Let Benjamin go back with my father. And Joseph knew there's a heart change here. The guy who used to have a have it out for me and my brother is now willing to replace his own life so that my brother can go back home free. Joseph forgave that. He forgave all those years, and he forgave those those men. And he told them, and, and they couldn't believe it. They had a hard time believing Joseph could forgive, could forgive them. But they found out he truly had forgotten it. He truly had just let it go. All right, so forgetting. Now, on to fruitfulness. So the second son is Ephraim. And Ephraim is fruitful. That's the name. That's what it means. And God gave Joseph two sons. One represented what was gone, and one represented what was given. In verse 52, the second son's name was Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. In spite of all that God had gone wrong, Joseph could still see God's blessings. I believe to see the goodness of the Lord. Joseph realized those dreams that I had before this nightmare started, those dreams are finally coming to pass. And I am seeing the goodness of God. Many people miss the blessings because they can't stop crying and start living again. They can't get over their forgetting and get and recognize their forgetting. And so they can't be fruitful as Joseph was able to be fruitful. And he made up his mind in Egypt, not in Canaan, to find contentment in God's will. Notice that. He didn't say, well, when I finally get back home, I'm going to be happy again. He decided God's got me in Egypt for a reason. And I'm going to be content knowing it's God's will. It's, it's what God has at this time. This is the fulfillment of those dreams I had as a boy. And he recognized that. Joseph recognized that God had him in Egypt for a purpose. And when Joseph was taken from his homeland, he had no family. But look what God did. He gave him a family. Gave him a wife, two young boys. Joseph was sold in Egypt. He had no position. But now look what God did. He made Joseph as Pharaoh in the land. Joseph thought, God has given me so much. And he named his son Ephraim because he saw the blessings of God during the days of affliction. That's the title of this lesson. Seeing the blessings of God during the days of affliction. Recognizing the goodness of God. 
he was the favorite son in Canaan, and God made him the favorite son again. He literally was the most popular person in Egypt. God restored to him what he had lost temporarily. God was good to him. The, the box here says the prime of life. Little rabbit trail here. Some dingling by the name of Don Lemon said that the prime of life for a woman is 20, 30, or 40 years old. He's in trouble. He works for CNN. He's probably in trouble. What a, what a ding-dong. You know what the prime of life is? The box says it right. The prime of life is any time in life when we are in the center of God's will. No matter what age you are. Oh, 17 to 30, that was the prime of my life and you ruined it. No. Chill out. God knows what he's doing. The prime of life is any time when you are in the center of God's will. Even if you're 85 years old, if you are in the center of God's will, that's the prime of your life. That is, that is where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And we do not know how long we will live on this earth, but we can make the most of the lives we have left by yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ. We find the peace of God only as we surrender to the will of God. This is an imperfect world, but we can see God's blessings during the days of affliction. You know, I talk about tribulation a lot, and I think more tribulation is coming. But that doesn't mean I'm pessimistic. I believe that during tribulation, we have a great opportunity to show the blessings of God during the days of affliction. I think it's a wonderful opportunity to, to show like Joseph, yeah, life hands us lemons, we're just going to keep making lemonade. Doesn't have to be politically, you know, comfortable for me to have a blessing, for me to be a blessing. Well, I was serving the Lord just fine back there in Canaan, but I, it was not fair of God to transport me to Egypt and change everything. That was that was just that's just way over the top. That's just out of question that He would do. No, no, He can do whatever He wants, and no matter what happens, I'm going to praise Him. Doesn't matter what happens next. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter because wherever I am, God is still there. It doesn't matter what happens next in my country or in my world. And I think there's some really weird, wicked, awful things coming. There's this thing called AI now, artificial intelligence. It ought to scare you to death if you start reading that stuff as a human being. It's like, what in the world? But you know what? God's still in charge. Even if there is AI, God will still be in charge. And so I'll just keep trusting him. And though he slay me, I'll trust him. And even though we're counted as sheep for the slaughter, we're still more than conquerors, according to God. And I can trust him, and I will trust him. And so when, whenever, whatever, however, those lemons are going to be lemonade. That's what they ought to be. And that's what Joseph's life is. It's a perfect example of how a young man can can say no to sin and no to temptation and get demoted for it and live in prison and live a horrible forgotten life and yet instead forget the past and reach forth to the future and be, and become fruitful in an amazing way and if that's you if you can become fruitful and and rise out of the ashes and become fruitful you're doing the will of God if you are a fruit bearing Christian like we preached about last Sunday about the soils the four soils Satan wants to make you choked by the thorns and the cares and the pleasures and the riches of this life so that you'll just not be fruitful. 
If you're saved, he can't take you to hell. So the best thing he can do is to keep you from being fruitful by wallowing around in all the tragedy that you had. Stop it. You're, you're, you're giving in and you're caving into his trap of unfruitfulness. Be fruitful. And our job is to preach the gospel to every creature and be fruitful. I'm just so excited. I, I, I realize Raven's not a perfect young lady. Her grandma's sitting here and she could probably tell us stories. Please don't. But it's a blessing to see Raven come to church and want to come to church. She's only been saved a couple weeks. What's this, the second week now? And and I'm sure that there's things that still need to be worked on in her life, probably. There's still things in my life that need to be worked on. But the, it's a blessing to see the fruitfulness of Christians, to see people going forward and the positive results. What a blessing. And so we forget those negative and we recognize the good things the positive that's still happening the fruitfulness that's happening we do not know how long we'll live on this earth but we can make the most of the lives we have left by yielding to the lord jesus christ and we find the peace of god only as we surrender to the will of god this is an imperfect world but we can see god's blessings during the days of affliction and what's really cool about this is we won't we won't go there today but in chapter 48 Jacob, the old dad who can hardly see anymore, crosses his arms and puts his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. And Joseph said, no, no, Manasseh's the older one. And Jacob says, I know Manasseh's the older one, but but I want to bless fruitful more than forget. And, and fruitful became the most populous tribe of Israel. As a matter of fact, when the northern ten tribes split from the southern, the northern ten tribes became known as Ephraim. And one day, the Bible says, the stick of Judah and the stick of Ephraim would be put back together. And that's all prophetic. And God is doing that. And you know how he's doing that? Through us going and preaching the gospel to every creature. And we're seeing to the Jew first and also to the Greek. They literally became the Gentiles of the world through assimilation. And God is bringing Jew and Gentile together. Jew is southern kingdom. Northern kingdom was Ephraim. Interesting stuff from prophecy. But here we see forgetting and we see fruitfulness. And now, most importantly, we see our faithful Lord. Our faithful Lord. Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two and verse thirteen. Second Timothy two thirteen says, If we believe not, if we've lost hope, and we don't even believe God can do it anymore, yet he he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. If we start to doubt God, he'll still be faithful. He cannot deny himself. He abideth faithful. I I would only imagine there was days where Joseph probably woke up and thought, does God even remember? I remember reading John the Baptist, one of the greatest men ever born, Jesus said. And yet John the Baptist sent messengers and asked him, are you really who you say you are? Why? There was doubt. Anybody here have doubts? And and so even when you doubt, God's still faithful. I sure am thankful that my salvation isn't up to me staying faithful. It's up to God being faithful. And he's faithful every day. So, you want to see the blessings during the days of affliction? You want to recognize how you can? And how it can happen? Because he's still faithful. Our, go, our Lord is faithful. He was with Joseph both in Hebron and Canaan in the promised land and in prison. 
and throughout all our earthly journey, he will be faithful to us. See, what Joseph realized, and, and, and not just realized, but he exemplified it. God was the same God in Egypt as he was back home. You'll find out a lot about people, young people, and how they behave when they're not at home, when they're away from all the other godly people. Joseph was away from everybody who knew about God. And yet when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he said, I can't sin against God. Because even though nobody else in in this entire land of Egypt knows me, God's here. God sees it. And he knows me. Same God in Egypt as he was back home in Canaan. Nothing's changed. He's the same God today as he was 200 years ago. He's the same God as he was 400 years ago and 1,000 years ago and 2,000, 4,000 years ago. He's still the same God. And he's not old, by the way. He's not the old man upstairs. He's the same, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God that, that split the Red Sea in half and walked on water. He's the same. So we can trust him and we can know that he's still going to take care of his people. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation or your life, your manner of life, your behavior, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. No matter what man throws at me, God is still my helper. And God might be, allow, might be allowing me to look like a loser for the first three and a half quarters of the game. But in the end, we win. So it doesn't matter what happens to me right now. God won't let me lose. That's awesome when you can realize that and, and, and live that. He has never failed. He is faithful. We can trust him. So look with me at Philippians chapter 4. Back up a few pages. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I sure would rather be at home with dad in Canaan, but he's got me in the state of Egypt but no matter what, I'm going to be content. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I want to ask you, do you know how to be abased? Or have you always been just a winner and conquering and you can't stand the idea of being humbled and losing? The Apostle Paul said, I know how to be abased and how to abound. I hope you learn how to be both because I think every Christian has to go through both. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. I'll never be hungry. Well, you know what? God might want you to be. Both to abound and to suffer need. If, I'll, if all I ever am is always abounding, I'll never learn to pray and be, in, and be dependent on God because I'll be independent on me. But if I've learned to pray and trust God, there could be times where I have to ask God for help just to feed the family. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, that helps me to pray and to trust him more and to, and to learn and to see him answer prayer and to, to the, deliver me from whatever major issue I was facing at the time. 
And God allowed Joseph to be abased and hungry and to suffer need so that he would have a better understanding and education for himself and for the people around him. And then it says, I am, whatever state, to be content, to suffer need, I can do all things, verse 13, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I learn not to trust in my own strength. The song says, the arm of flesh will fail you, you dare not trust your own. If you are a self-made man or a self-made woman, one day you'll find out you just can't do it anymore. Don't wait until it's a humbling experience that you die from. But learn to understand that he wants us to learn to be hungry and to suffer need so that we'll turn to him and have an independence on him and not on ourselves or or the economy or whatever it might be. Because I can do all things through Christ. Joseph got to the point where he couldn't do anything on his own. It had to be God. He he was totally helpless. Now, I just want to point this out and we'll be done. Thankfully, God's not confined to geographical locations. God is the same God all around the globe as he is right where we're at right now. God is omnipresent. He sees everything. He knows everything. But let me just say one thing. Joseph knew that things would get better even from his day. And the reason why I know this for sure is because at the end of the book of Genesis, in chapter 50, before he dies, and you've heard me preach and teach on this before, but before he dies, he tells them, you bury me back in Canaan. He says, one day, God's going to take all of us out of here, and you take my coffin back, and you bury it in Canaan. That's what I want you to remember. And that's a great message, and I won't re-preach it right now. But you realize that Joseph, as the second most powerful person in Egypt, could easily have been buried with King Tut? And he said, don't you dare bury me with King Tut. I want you to know that it's still going to get better from here. This isn't the best they will ever be. It's going to get better, and he's going to return us to the promised land. What an awesome thing. Joseph believed and knew and could trust God. You're going to go through some hard times of slavery. After I die, they're going to forget me. But one day, you're going to take me out and take me back home to, to, to the promised land and take me out of Egypt. And, and that should be our testimony. Our testimony when we die should not be, well, kids, it's too bad that you didn't grow up in the world I did. It was a much better place. America was way better than it is now. That's the best thing you can say to your family? I hope you can say, there's still a better country coming. This world is not the best there is. There's still a better country coming. And point them to that one and give them hope and assurance that no matter how rough things might be for a while, God wins and those who are on his side win with him. All right, we're out of time today, but the title was The Blessings of God During the Days of Affliction. We need to recognize the blessings of God sometimes are even more special during the days of affliction. Praise God for that. So so give birth to two different ideas. Forget and fruitful. Forget the stuff you don't need to remember and recognize the fruitfulness that God has for you and has done for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our blessings. Thank you for helping us to not have to dwell and to wallow in the past. And I pray for those who might be to move forward, recognizing that all those terrible nightmares, abuses, tragedies, 
were only something for us to learn from. But after passing the test, we can forget it. Help us to move forward and be fruitful. And that we would recognize our faithful Lord throughout all of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.